The battle's heating up all over the grid. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claibon and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt. Today we continue looking back at the Italian Grand Prix and we start off specifically by returning to that crash, that incident between Lewis Hamilton and Oscar Piastri. It seems that in terms of the technicalities of the regulation, uh, we weren't correct. It's all about action, not consequence. But for you, Tristan, is that correct? Is that how we should be judging incidents like this? Because for me, consequence is what it's all about, really, when it comes to points and where people finish. Well, that criticism, right, is is one that I've seen a lot. And I'm not naive enough to have not seen that before. And I think this was a real sticking point from last week's podcast, Tom, when we were mm. discussing this with Angus. Um, and it seemed like many of you out there disagreed with us because of this argument, which is, it's the actions, not the consequences, that dictate the severity of the penalty. And it got me thinking. And I, I listened to your, your comments. I saw your comments and, and um, your arguments. And so I, I, was, I was sort of thinking about how I, I was, I was going to bridge this. Because I've, I still don't necessarily think that's fully correct. Um, and, and part of the reason for that, Tom, I think, is... What we have there is a weird situation where if you always take the action and never the consequences, you will you end up having false equivalents. And there's a really easy and common F1 scenario that we, we see all the time, and that's leaving the track and mm -hmm. gaining an advantage. Mm -hmm. If you only take the action as the penalty, you would have no other choice but for any point in leaving the track to give the same penalty no matter what right you could mm -hmm. you could go off the track by accident all on your own in your own race come back on and then you would have to be given the same penalty as someone who left the track overtook 10 cars and got back on again because the consequences mm -hmm. don't matter tom consequences mm -hmm. don't matter I, I'm not sure about that myself. I think it's impossible in many ways to disconnect fully an action and a consequence because if you're going to judge a driver's action in isolation, there's very few occasions where he's going to be given more than a 5-10 second penalty because there's very few occasions of basically violent conduct when it comes to driver versus driver competition. And I understand that what Hamilton did was not malicious, but... Ultimately, it was an action that had serious consequences and penalised another's race. I don't see how anyone can disassociate the two because an action becomes a consequence in many ways, in my view. So I think there needs to be 
I suppose, uh, a clearer explanation of that technicality or indeed a reform of it entirely, in my view, because you could have, let's say, a driver like Verstappen versus Hamilton rewinding to Silverstone, for example, a little innocuous, cheeky, ambitious dive down the inside results in a car that's hurtling towards the barriers, for example, at a huge uh, speed and a huge sort of uh, amount of acceleration and, and damage really that comes from that the, the force of the impact and the rest so I don't think the rules are fit and proper in that aspect and I would challenge anybody who thinks they're fit and proper to go and look at various other incidents where innocuous actions have resulted in rather serious consequences such as hospitalization for a few hours or indeed someone missing a race entirely Exactly. And it's not like the FIA don't address this. Um, we, If you just go into the sporting regulations, there is a get-out-of-jail-free card for the FIA stewards, which is that the stewards can impose at their discretion a penalty that they deem are worthy for whatever instant has occurred. Mm. And so mm-hmm. it, it's it's not like we're making you know the, these assumptions based on nothing. So I, I would I would urge you if you are if you're looking at these incidents and saying well pff, it's the action and then you say well you know familiarize yourself with the, the sporting regulations it's in there and I'm not making this up section 54 mm. of the sporting regulations goes through how they penalize them and what they can penalize them for doing and I think what the point that Tom and I were making last week and unfortunately Angus isn't here this week to d- discuss this any further as well is what what occurred last week which was particularly uh, detrimental i think was unlike many light collisions this one occurred when the action of one person was significant to damage someone who was in no at no fault and mm. even if you don't necessarily agree that hamilton should got a 10 second penalty because of the regulations as they are I think we were also trying to highlight a point, which is, are the are the rules then suitable for that sort of incident? Is it fair that a driver, driver A, in this case Hamilton, can just drive into someone else, driver B, and experience what one may see as an overall advantage to the race? He took out mm. a close rival and mm-hmm. ended up far enough away from another driver to to mitigate the penalty now if you're fast enough you're absolutely right that you can do that and people point that out a lot and that's fair enough but are the rules therefore strong enough there i it should there be a distinction and in my mind okay if you if even if i go down the line of argument which is under the current regulations the hamilton got a fair and proper penalty my argument is well therefore the regulations need to be altered to be clearer on when one penalty starts and another one ends. Because in my mind, Mm. two drivers coming together is different from one driver purposely colliding with another. There are different levels, different contexts. So I think if you just want to be black and white and say it's the action that, that, that dictates the penalty, then the examples I just gave with two coming together and then someone purposely colliding with someone else, those are all the same. The, the, con- mm. the action is, a, 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 you know, the same there, but the consequences are so different. The context is so different. And so I thought, Tom, it was important to address this, really, because yeah, I'm, we, I'm, my argument may not be convincing, but I think we didn't have enough time to explore it last week. And so I think certainly, as like always, we would call, I call on the, the stewards to be slightly more precise 
in the way that it, they, they explain these rules. And I think they should assess whether or not we need to put something new in place. Because I would say that at the moment, there is clearly an advantage to taking out someone from a race, especially if you're challenging for their position. Yeah, I'd agree as well. I think when it comes to the regulations that stand and the technicalities surrounding it, when it comes to certain incidents, it does at times, albeit that unconsciously, unwittingly, uh, incentivize bad behaviour in many ways. Because while what Hamilton did was not aiming to get rid of uh, his close rival, somebody who he's uh, racing with, and indeed he apologised afterwards, it very much did that really. And I think that when you suffer no damage, meanwhile the other car has terminal damage, and you're able to basically burn off a penalty for want of a better phrase I do think there has to be a stronger I suppose balancing act and check and balance on that because otherwise you're essentially saying well we don't want you to go and crash badly but if you can crash really smartly and then get rid of your (laughs) opponent but be finding yourself that's okay is that what Formula One's about personally I wouldn't say it is so I think once again we're seeing another incident where uh, a collision, a close collision and a penalty being given out has possibly raised more questions than answers really about uh, where we stand and um, how the rules should be but I think alteration is key though I, I can't see how you can separate an action and a consequence in my view but I think to doing it too much the other way and going ah well you know it's all about the consequence that would be too far the other way in my view because as we know with uh, these Formula 1 cars and where you crash and how the the steering is for example if you go onto smooth tarmac or rubble for, ex- uh, for example all that can determine, the context can determine how a crash is, how severe it is. Thankfully this wasn't very severe so in my mind that shouldn't in terms of the driver's health that is uh, I don't think that should, that should weigh too much in terms of putting it the other way but a more realistic real terms pragmatic balance would be better because at the moment it just seems highly theoretical without actually looking at the the granular detail of what is a race on tarmac basically and let's carry on then by looking at Alpha Tauri and more specifically Liam Lawson he took part in his second ever Formula 1 race and finished just outside the points in P11 another good weekend for him Kind of for the constructor, if we take out Yuki Tsunoda's DNF. What does this tell us, though, about Liam Lawson and indeed AlphaTauri as well? Well, clearly, it tells us that AlphaTauri has has got two two interesting drivers at the moment gunning for that second seat. And uh, unfortunately for Ricardo, isn't it really, that he is being shown up by a, a rookie, which is dangerous because Formula One loves a rookie. We absolutely adore a rookie, oh, and yeah. that I think he was so close to points. I was, I was, I was very sad that he didn't actually get points. But I think it, it could well be possible if Liam gets points. I think that would be, you know, really cemented himself really um, as a as a future Formula One driver. He's already heavily involved in the Red Bull team anyway, doing all manner of things, including being part of their their YouTube stunts, and he is cutting his teeth in um, Japan Super Formula, which is an absolutely crazy uh, division of racing. I would highly recommend going and, and checking out some of the racing they do there. They're incredibly fast cars, awesome looking cars, and there's the, the, um, the in, in um, Asia. And I th- apparently that's where Helmut Marco sends drivers to get better because uh, <laughs> he's, he's come into Formula 1 and absolutely smashed it. And I'm, I'm slightly concerned now that when Ricardo comes back, 
he's going to have to do a lot of catching up really to to get the spotlight away from a driver that that no one saw coming into the sport just a few weeks ago this is not the ideal start for ricardo is it but, you know massive fanfare return and immediately breaking your arm and sitting these ones out so these are dangerous times um when there is a potential seat up for grabs and we know full well that red bull and its subsidiaries are ruthless and i would be mm. looking at liam now and thinking hmm he hasn't broken his wrist he's got to grips with the car pretty quickly Singapore uh-huh. is going to be a massive challenge. So as we head into Singapore, if I'm if I'm Red Bull and I'm looking at Liam, I think Singapore is going to be the final sort of litmus test for this, um, the, for this measuring of talent. Singapore is incredibly difficult. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's fast but flowing. It requires absolute constant vigilance at all times because it is an incredibly difficult track to drive it's kind of it's like saudi arabia meets monaco if you haven't ever seen it before it's really thin and tight but also it's got these fast sections flowing sections but like monaco if you get off in a certain area you will have all sorts of problems and i love it it's brilliant but also it's all known as the drivers as an endurance challenge they lose kilograms of sweat more sweat than this race than any other and there was a there's an excellent um discussion with i think one of the drivers i'm i can't remember which one but they were talking about their training regime and i think maybe it was carlos science and he was saying that when he was training the only thing he's training for all year is singapore and so liam who has not driven in formula one for very long is about to be thrown into i would say the hardest race mentally and physically of the season so i think if he comes out of this one as shining as he is at the moment i think then we've got uh, another f1 driver on our hands really it's just waiting for the seat to appear yeah i would agree with that because as well he's only been i say only he's featured at power circuits of zanvoort in the netherlands and then monza in italy so this will be a challenge as well insofar as it's more of a street circuit there's more challenges when it comes to braking navigating tight windy corners for example and i think that after we've seen him here we'll have a good understanding if you will a good uh, I suppose knowledge of how he could be as a Formula One driver moving forwards because we still were Nick DeVries bless him he had one chance at Williams got points everyone waxed lyrical like crazy and thought oh here we go he's the next big thing watch out Perez here he comes but naturally doing it in one race doing well in one race is one thing but doing better across three races arguably three very different circuits to a point as well is also something that will be in his favour as well and if I am Helmut Marker, if I am uh, those at AlphaTauri and co, I would be thinking, well, if he's able to score close to the points in what is a very, very awful car, why rock the boat, in my view? Why necessarily parachute Daniel Ricciardo back in after he's had a, let's be fair, a topsy-turvy, lukewarm, boom-and-bust start versus a driver he's done remarkably well, really, considering he's been flown in in two races. I mean, this one will determine it, not to be a a make-or-break situation, but I feel that if he's able to go and replicate his form from Monza and do that in Singapore, I think that that will be a great sort of accolade for him, really. But I think as well it shows that there are green shoots for AlphaTauri as well. Good straight-line speed in that car in qualifying, and indeed, when it came to the race, Sonoda qualified in 11th, Lawson finished in 11th, so... 
while that's not amazing for them, obviously less than some of their rivals, it's far better than they have done in previous circuits. So looking forwards, there's a few examples coming up of, let's say, Japan and co, where they could actually cash in and maybe do what Alfa Romeo did uh, this weekend and nab themselves a point or two. But um, yeah, reasons to be positive, I think, really, for Alfa Tari after what's been a fairly mediocre start, if I were to be diplomatic. I think so. Uh, um, we we brush over very quickly then the qualifying result from, from Lawson. Look, it's no mean feat to be well. Think about where he's come from when he mm. when he should we say debuted um, <laughs> in the Netherlands. He was stone dead last, and we all expected that, right? Because this is someone who has not driven Formula One. Yes, he's done other divisions, including Formula Two, but Formula One's a, a very different style of of. Of driving it's 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 another step up and um you only have to interview the last cohort of drivers to make that step people like george russell said stepping from formula 2 to formula 1 was insane and mm. we expected him to be last and he was but then he moved up in the race and we all sort of started paying attention be a second race in in monza to to qualify just behind your teammate 12th absolutely mm. stunning result he was only three tenths behind sonoda and mm. Sonoda's been in that team for ages now and has definitely got to grips with the car and was outperforming Nick DeVries substantially. So I think Red Bull's, you know, they swapped Nick DeVries for Liam Lawson. And I'm I'm concerned, really I'm concerned for Daniel Ricciardo's future now because this was not the wild card we were all expecting. <laughs> this no, is, This no, is, you know, reversed for poor Ricciardo. And unfortunately, it, it is really unfortunate that all of this is, has, has come for Daniel Ricciardo because of a simple... You know, mistake in in the Netherlands when he had just unlucky, but unfortunately, one person's unlucky break. Uh, so I did there is another Three. one's lucky <laughs> break. Yeah, indeed, and I think as well, if you're looking at someone like Liam Lawson and you're uh, in the in the uh, I suppose the chair to go and decide who the future drivers are going to be. You look at him and you go, well, he's a young driver, so he's got miles in the tank, if you will, both figuratively and literally as well. And he's coming into this fresh on the crest of a wave, for example. So compare that with Daniel Ricciardo. Towards the end of his career, you're taking a gamble as well because he's either hot or not really when it comes to some of his form more recently. There is a case, there's a serious case, I think, if Liam Lawson does well, and by that I mean matches teammates, a serious case to go and say, why not go for Lawson and Sonoda next year, really? Because, I mean, as we say with Afatari, we're confused about what they are. This is a clear example, in my view, or a clear crossroads where they can go and show everybody what they're all about and be a junior team again, which doesn't sound very good, doesn't sound very sexy when you, you could be a sister team, for example. But when you're, if we're being honest, fighting down uh, below with Hassan Co for the scraps of points... Why not go and bring in some young talent you can build a team around, like Williams have done, for example, and then hopefully rise up a bit further than, with respect to Ricardo, sort of taking a, a punt on a driver who may have had his best years. Yeah, exactly, um, and it's good for the the <laughs> it's good for the the New Zealand brand as well because uh, the last New Zealand racing driver before for Liam Lawson was entered in the last two entries was I don't remember Brendan Hartley. I do remember him, not for the right reasons, but I do remember him. <laughs> so, so it's nice for them to have, you know, a, a more positive experience. I mean, before that, if you want to know, it was, it was Mac Thackwell. Uh, so oh, way sure. before our time, it was 1918, <laughs> yeah. uh, 1984. So, you know, it's nice to, nice to have a, a, an, a, another representation on the grid. We like this. So 
yeah, it's all exciting, I think, for New Zealanders out there. You've got a, another driver foot in the door. I, I can't, I can't, I've never heard the um, New Zealand national anthem being played at mm-hmm. a Formula One race. So this mm-hmm. may be your best shot for, for a while, actually. And I'm very excited because, hey, Liam Lawson's got his eye on Red Bull, surely now, Tom. I would have thought so. Yeah. I mean, you don't stick around in that academy to then go, hmm, Williams, maybe, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Albon. (laughs) (laughs) And talking about Williams, really, a very good weekend for them. Again, courtesy of Mr. Albon. He finished in P7 uh, after scoring a P8 finish in Netherlands before that. There's now a 10-point gap between Williams, the constructor, and Haas in P8. Another good weekend... Are they consolidating that P7? Is that too early to say, maybe? Hmm. Oh, God. Now, now I predicted at the beginning of the season that for, that Williams could well get seventh place. And I won't lie, Tom. That wasn't a bit of magic. That wasn't me <laughs> reading my crystal ball. Otherwise, I would have gone out and got some lottery tickets. Um, hmm. It was, in fact, just a an educated guess um, because I have full faith in Williams getting back to the front um especially as they've got james vowels pushing them forward who is doing an outstanding job in terms of pr and fan engagement i will say that other teams need to look at the way that james as a team principal talks about the brand it it's not your usual oh so how was will you know how's williams doing uh well we're doing great obviously we uh we we're doing fine we we're williams we're we're good thank you for asking that question uh, it's, it's real in-depth interesting knowledge he admits the faults at ferrari and, <laughs> and seems to be enacting upon them in a way that's incredibly constructive and that's what i like to see williams has been so destructive for a while it's really nice that that they seem to be getting into a rhythm so to answer your question though, Tom, because I've been skirting around it, um, mm. I don't, I don't think they've solidified it just yet. They obviously have pushed themselves ahead now, significantly ahead of Haas, being ten points as, as right, being the delta between um, Williams and Haas. However, we have just, I think, exited out of perhaps Williams' top scoring tracks, and. Mm. I was a little bit disappointed at Monza because really this should have been Williams's chance to to pull out something incredible so that they can get that difference between themselves and Haas way beyond 10 points. Because as we head towards Singapore, Japan, for example, Haas may well have the performance to sort of bring it back a bit. So they needed, they really needed um, two lots of points. And unfortunately, 13th place for Logan Sargent what is just not not good enough when Albon was in seventh. And I was so gutted as well that Albon didn't get six, uh, sixth. I know I know that links a little bit to Hamilton's penalty. Um, I'm not gutted because Hamilton, by the way, got sixth place, even with a penalty. I'm gutted because I felt that Williams on merit deserved to be, yeah, it's just mm. deserved to be up there. All right, yeah. yeah. So, um, however... That basically means Williams has been scoring points with only one driver. That's no secret. And mm-hmm. so I think that Haas is the advantage in terms of their overall driver lineup. And so, no, 
I don't think they have solidified it. Interesting, interesting. I think they've given themselves a fighting chance and then some, really, because when we look at the bottom three, four constructors teams and look at how many times they've scored points since the beginning of this calendar, it's few and far between. I mean, we're going to get on to Alfa Romeo, for example, but before they scored one singular point uh, here in Italy... The last time before that was Canada, which was over five races before that, really. So points don't come uh, too often, really, for these teams. I take your point entirely when it comes to Williams' uh, purple patch being over. I think they may have one or two more days in the sun, if you will. But looking at somewhere like Qatar, looking at somewhere like Mexico, indeed Singapore, I think they could struggle there as well. The question is, will Haas rise up and not only beat that deficit of 10 points plus, but um, beat it, you know, not convincingly, but get get over the line, really. I'm not too sure they will, because it's been uh, an ambivalent period for Haas, I think it's fair to say. They've been consistent, they've been together, but not really anywhere near the point. And that's before, and indeed during, this period of many power circuits. So, for that reason, I think that Williams would be immensely disappointed if they were to go and lose this P7 place. But the fact they're indeed in there fighting for it, I think is remarkable in of itself. I remember when you put forward the proposition of them being P7 in the constructors, I think we all sort of winced a bit, raised eyebrows, say what you will type of thing. We didn't think it was going to be possible. But I think now they've given themselves a good chance. And 10 points, I mean, the gap between AlphaTauri and Alfa Romeo is 7 points. To me, that seems massive. Why can't 10 be just as massive, in my view, when it comes to P7 and P8? But I won't do the classic and go, oh, yeah, only 50-odd points between Williams and Alpha and uh, Alpine. Will <laughs> yeah. they do it? No, no, that's impossible. But, um, yeah, P7 would be remarkable if it's done. You, I, it's interesting you say Williams' purple patch. Would you say they've had a purple patch this year? Or is it just think- consistency? Mm, I'd say, okay, Albon's had a purple patch. I think Williams, as a constructor by extension, have had a purple patch. And that's been at power circuits where it's been a lot of straight sort of straight line speed and little need for serious downforce, if you will. If you were to go and look back at other examples, like, say, um, Monaco, for example, P14, P18, that sort of just shows how poorly they can do at circuits where their their setup isn't right and their strengths aren't right as well. I mean, looking at Hungary as well, 18th and 14th. So I do think to myself, this is probably the best that Williams are going to do. Sorry, 18th and th- uh, 11th and 18th, rather. Um, I do think this is probably the best that Williams are going to do. And I think it's a purple patch because the idea of them getting back-to-back points even when George Russell was there, was something that was seen as far-fetched. So I think they've had a purple patch, relatively speaking, but I think they'll be hoping for more to come when it comes to next season, if they can hold on to uh, everybody involved, really, because it's not only the drivers, but James Vowles and co coming into the team have have done a great job as well, of course. Mm. I think, I would say, I I agree. I think Albon has done exceptionally well and has pushed that forward. I think... To be honest, I think Williams is in has been to the green all year and has given us all hope there. But uh, it's a real shame that they just haven't quite got there with their second driver yet. And they seem to have fallen into this trap that many other teams also have, which is you have one good driver and a driver that apparently can't pick up the points when necessary. Which is such a shame because if you throw your mind back, Tom, all the way back 28 episodes of F1 a Review ago <laughs> to the very beginning of this season... You remember, Logan Sargent stormed out the gate 
and whilst you know not necessarily yeah. doing as uh, you know doing as well as Albon is doing now, you no, know, really gave us all hope. So it's interesting that he hasn't quite a- been able to keep up that momentum. Would you say, mm-hmm. and hasn't really been able to extract everything we thought for you know he would from from the car. I still think the jury's out on Sergeant, in my view, because I'm not sure if I'm judging him by himself on merit or whether I'm comparing him to Latifi. Because if we compare him to Latifi, he's finishing races more often, he's getting closer to the points, which in of itself is a positive and improvement from what came before him. But if we're gonna if we're gonna go and ignore, I suppose, the Latifi record and period and just see it by itself, see the car they've got, the potential it's got, and how well it can do at the hands of Alex Albon, I think then you have to go Sergeant probably hasn't done as well as many would hope. He'd probably, or he probably has, unfortunately, fallen flat on some occasions. But I don't think that I can fully judge him yet. But put it this way, I've seen the first half of the film and I think the conclusion is going to be what I thought it was going to be and that being disappointment, unfortunately, for him. Do you concur or do you think I'm being a bit a bit harsh? Well, I don't because he seems at the fastest track to be sort of stuck slightly behind the points. You are right, of course, that Williams... Will benefit from some of the um, so the desert tracks as we head towards them, and they are very fast paced. But even with that, even with that bonus of the the Williams top speed, I mean, Logan Sargent's um, uh, finished in twelfth place at the beginning of the year, and then in Italy, right, another incredibly fast track we would expect. Well, wasn't in the points again in thirteenth, so. He's not really gone anywhere, right? If, if it, mm. I would say that throughout the whole of the season, he's sort of still here. He's still at that same point through ups and a few downs. And, and, and yeah, as the season's gone on, he hasn't necessarily been able to give us a magic moment yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that a little bit. So I don't know. I don't know with Logan. I think he's still rookie, still new, fresh to the sport. So perhaps he would get a bit more seasoned. And I'd like to think that Williams will... If they do keep him, it's all for the right reasons, and that they know something I don't, because I do, I do believe that they they may know something that I don't. So, hope hopefully this is just you know breaking him in over the first sort of race, first season of races, and then as we head to next year, if they do keep him around, then that will be the opportunity for him to demonstrate why he's retained that seat when there are other drivers, unfortunately, Tom, who want it instead. And it may be a bit presumptuous or indeed fast to go and say this, but I think when you go when you go and compare Sargent's performances to Liam Lawson's so far, I think you can already see a golf in quality there. At least when it comes to getting out of the trap, if you will, when it comes to Formula One. Now that doesn't mean that's set in stone. I.e., Lawson will always be better than Sargent, and Sargent will always be second fiddle. And He's got no chance of having a successful Formula 1 career. But I do think that when you're already seeing Liam Lawson matching his best performances in a far worse car, it does perhaps show you that Sargent isn't the man for the job currently. But many different drivers have taken years to bed in. So there's still there's still hope and optimism and reasons for him to prove us all wrong. But... Let's just say the writing is starting to be written on the wall in many ways. I don't think he's going to be at Williams for all too many years if it carries on like this. As mentioned previously then, for the first time since Canada, Alfa Romeo have scored themselves a point. This being thanks to Valtteri Bottas. 
I think it's fair to say, though, that he may have stumbled into this one, really, after the aforementioned Hamilton Piastri crash. Do you agree? I don't know, Tom. It's hard to say. It's very hard to to uh, categorically say whether or not someone stumbled into points, because to be in the points, you still have to finish. You still have to be ahead of everyone else. And to to get that, you know, to that that 10th place, it's not a... It's not an easy thing to get. I would say that what was interesting about Bottas this in, in Italy was that he led a very clean race, and thanks to everyone else's fights and unfortunate, it's, <laughs> say, fortunate collisions, he was able to to catch up. And that often happens in Formula One because we mm. you get into these scenarios where you get these long DRS trains, and then those three or four cars start putting each other away as they're all getting that DRS and then basically the the lonely lingering person in nowhere in a no man's land is just sort of just driving around and mm. of course that person can be in first place as <laughs> often it's Max Verstappen you know no one around him oh just driving around or I think last race kind of Valtteri Bottas yeah uh, he he was significantly ahead of Liam Lawson and with Oscar Piastri having to get a pit stop and things like that it, it was just a matter of, of him being close enough to to still come out ahead and get up to 10th place now Alfa Romeo hasn't been the fastest team this this year and I think certainly they've they've been trekking downwards would you say in terms of the performance spiral mm. um, uh, I would say so yeah, yeah. so I know it's very difficult to just say something as, as blase as oh well you stumbled into points because to get into the points even to take advantage of a, another situation you have to be good enough and I think I think what what we can see about Bottas is he is certainly performing well within the the um Alfa Romeo brand but let's face it he only qualified in 14th place and thanks to a whole load of other problems that sort of just trekked upwards for him as, as everyone else sort of fell out but hey that's the way it works and I don't think we're going to see a huge amount of Alfa Bottas this year so it was just nice that he was able to to get some points and hey look put it this way he was able to get points in Alfa Romeo Logan Sardin should have been there to take points in his Williams, he wasn't there to yep. stumble into points. So that's what I mean. It's it's actually not as simple as just saying, "Oh well, uh, he just got given the points." Because there are others, just drivers out there who had, I would say, better machinery this weekend that couldn't get it. So there has mm-hmm. to be some significant talent there, anyway. And I still stand by what I said last week, which is Bottas. I I still rate as one of the best drivers on the grid, even though he hasn't won, won any world championships. Yeah, I think your description of how we came into points is probably a bit more accurate and, and fairer, really. I don't think if we'd have finished in 11th or 12th, any of us would have been screaming at our TV already. So it's how on earth has he not done it? That poor man, where is your luck? Uh, but yes, no, I mean, you've got to be there to go and collect those points. And you're totally right when it comes to Sargent, his teammate. Uh, you got Pierre Gasly as well, who could have easily got points in that machinery, in my view. Lance Stroll, once again, you've got his teammate, Fernando Alonso in P9. He's down in P16. So he's done well there, and he's able to go go and grind out some, uh, well, a good point, really, for Alfa Romeo after what has been quite a sort of uh, a, a dormant period, I think, when it comes to them. But I don't think we'll see too much more of 
any of them, be that sort of uh, Guan Yuzhou, be that Valtteri Bottas, the team in of itself, they seem to have sort of risen up with this huge amount of fanfare when it came to Andrea Seidel coming over and the ambitions when it came to Audi and co. And I imagine they're still there. I imagine this is a betting in period, really, for Seidel and the fact that he moved over so late. But it does seem to me like they've just accepted that the season is going to be a write-off, which seems bizarre, really, when you consider how... Well, Valtteri Bottas did the first few seasons he was at Alfa Romeo, for example, and the ability that car showed. Um, largely in thanks, you have to go and say, to that Ferrari engine last year. But still, you've got to go and convert that. Uh, and that he did. But um, I think the fact we're celebrating a point for Alfa Romeo really does show how their uh, performance has regressed in my view and looking forward I don't really see too many more opportunities where they're able to cash in because if I'm being honest I don't really know what Alfa Romeo's strengths are similar to Haas in many different ways it's certainly not uh, power circuits or speed circuits on merit at least because when it comes to qualifying you rarely see those cars up and around the points but um, maybe someone like Singapore could be one if he's able to go and beat the test of endurance that could be one for, for Valtteri Bottas to, to cash in on maybe i hope so i hope valtteri continues to sort of just enjoy himself in formula one and he seems like he is having quite a lot of fun and i <laughs> there's a there's the recent grill the grid episode which they were doing um young drivers the drivers like children's photo and valtteri bottas's child photo just looks like a tiny little him Without his little moustache and stuff. It's and he's got a bowl cut and I, I did laugh quite a lot. I would highly recommend if you haven't seen that, it's on YouTube, the 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 Grill the Grid with the young photos. Um it is funny. And I think that's where Valtteri is now. He's he's with a team that's that's transitioning. Um <clears throat> away from that Alfa Romeo brand is Alfa Romeo has it been confirmed is going to Haas as their engine supplier, which is a weird is it, I think it's their engine supplier they're going to be because Haas has got MoneyGram as their title sponsor. In Formula One, if, if if you are not aware, and I don't blame you because it's a bit bizarre, you don't necessarily have to have an engine supplier called, uh, named after the people that have that give you the engine. So you don't have to have it as a Mercedes engine. You, so for example, even though Haas using Ferrari engines, then they can they can say it's an Alfa Romeo engine. And so that's how they could be sponsored by Alfa Romeo, even though that they've got MoneyGram as their title sponsor. God, sponsoring is so weird in Formula 1. But the underlying team, the engineering team behind that is called Sauber. And Sauber is transitioning away from Alfa Romeo and towards Audi. And so I see I see where Bottas is at the moment in, in a team that's transitioning away from its old sponsorship towards some some very new, very shiny money. And I'm very excited for Audi to be part of the sport. Um uh, but I don't think he's going to be there when it when it comes along. So I think he's just helping the team develop for the future and trying to live, you know, run his own races. He doesn't need to worry about the constructors or the drivers championships. There was a lot of pressure on him when he was at Mercedes and I think he dealt with that very well. And now as he's in his twilight years, uh, he he will just be picking up hoovering up points where necessary and basically just in doing a bit of a, a Kimi Raikkonen, I think, where Kimi Raikkonen said that he drove for a hobby. I see Bottas falling into that now. So as we head to Singapore, Singapore is a great track because, well, from the perspective of um, sort of your one hit qualifying wonders, 
because if you get ahead at Singapore, it's very easy to stay there as long as you don't make a mistake. So, Tom, yeah, as we go to Singapore, I think it could be a good opportunity for Bottas to, say, qualify in 10th or 9th and just hold on to it. Um, in fact, I think that's Haas's best, you know, a really good opportunity for Haas to get some serious points as well. Because if they can just get a, you know, a, a ninth place, a magic ninth place, then they can just hold on to it and start whittling away at Williams, which is why I'm so concerned about that particular deficit as well. So, yeah, I, I, it's odd, isn't it? I would say that Alpha, Alpha Romeo has really been under the radar this year, not because they're doing badly, but just because they're not doing good either. They're just sort of hmm. there making up the numbers sometimes. Very much so. And Bottas has got a contract with Alfa Romeo, soon to be Audi, until 2025. He's 34 years old at the moment. Do you think that'll be it for him? Will he stay on further? Because I kind of feel that when that contract ends, that'll be curtains for him. Well, Audi's coming in 2026. So we will have a period where Alfa Romeo returns to being called Sauber, which is how which is how I remember them. I, I remember them being Sauber and in fact, I remember, I, I don't know whether or not, Tom, it's just because I, I'm, I don't know, old or I didn't understand Formula One back in the day. But I, I don't remember the sponsorship being this complicated. Like McLaren, no, McLaren, Mercedes were Mercedes, Catrum were Catrum. Lo- oh, that's not true. Lotus and Renault. Do you remember at one point there was two Lotuses, two sets of Lotus yes. on the track? Lotus Catrum. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so there was Lotus mm-hmm. Lotus, Lotus Renault and Lotus Catrum. And, and you were like, oh, it's Lotus. Which one is? Okay. So maybe, maybe <laughs> that's not true at all. But I certainly more complicated now, maybe because I'm paying closer attention to it all. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think at the end of it, that's it. Maybe Bottas and Hamilton are going to retire at the same time. What do you think? They seem to be good friends. Yeah, no, that would make sense. I think um, when it comes to Hamilton, for example, he's somebody who is probably going to go into, I suppose, his final years with Mercedes. I can't see a contract beyond what he's got at the moment or indeed in moving teams. And I think that I get the impression with Bottas, he's had his time in the sun, similar to Raikkonen, and now he's happy just to be in Formula 1, as you say. So that would make perfect sense. It would be, be nice to see him anyways, because as we know, they get on so well. And on that note, that seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 28 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one. Be that on your preferred podcast provider or indeed elsewhere. A reminder, as ever, you can follow us on Twitter or X and TikTok the handle being F1 in review and as mentioned we'll be back to go and cover the fallout the good the bad and the ugly from the Singapore Grand Prix if you're watching listening or observing it's in the UK it's a 2pm start for Saturday and then when it comes to the race that's on Sunday once again if you're in the UK that is 1pm there's some talk of rain but nothing serious at the moment but we'll wait and see if that transpires or indeed leads to anything at all but come win rain or shine we'll be back to go and discuss all that came from this grand prix in the next episode of f1 in review so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week